welcome back into the deep fade. My name is Zach, joined today by Mr. Brendan. How are you doing? Good. How are you? As always, good. As always, good. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to get into a few thoughts post Super Bowl. Now that we've had a few days to separate from the game, then it's going to jump into a lot of basketball. Look at a notebook dunk from some of the games this week, lead that into some of the top mid year stories as All Star Break starts this weekend and then i wanted to run through a a top 25 that examines slash cross examines the what the best players in the league are versus what the all-star teams actually are because i feel that this year is a is a more diminished version of the past where we have unending diatribes about who is and isn't a snob or who should or shouldn't be at the game but i feel like it's an informative exercise just to cross-examine it, and it's fun. But first, Brendan, what did you think of the Super Bowl? Uh, I mean, I was pretty pleased with the game when it all like <laughs> was said and done. I mean, it was really boring when it was you know, going on in the first half, but I always thought the Chiefs were going to win that. Um, I was preaching it for a while because, <laughs> I, I don't know, I'm a Brock Purdy non-believer, but apart from that, I saw the Ravens pick the Niners apart and then get picked apart by the Chiefs. So, obviously, I was inclined to think that the Chiefs were the better team. Uh, and I, I think they are the better team. I mean, after everything said and done, despite the outcome of the game, I still think they deserve to win that. So, I don't know. It was a great game. Went to OT. Not really much more you could ask for in that regard. A uh, couple of my bats fell through, but... Apart from that, can't be too mad. You and me both. It was a it was a good game to watch. So, where do you think that this places the rest of the AFC over the next few years? Because the the counter to like oh Mahomes is going to continue to rule the league and why people are willing to already compare him to the the final throne to ascend to by being better than Brady is because it seems sustainable considering this is the year they weren't supposed to get one. And so you look at it too, and the best quarterbacks, his supposed best competition, are all in the same conference as him. And not only did he win, but, I mean, however you feel about Tua, Tua is in the upper half of the league. He beat Tua and KC and then went into Buffalo and went into Baltimore to beat the two other main challengers to him outside of Burrow and Herbert. So... Next year, if you were going to pick one of them to unseat him, you can include Homer Bias in this, but because well, <laughs> another uh, stat that people are citing is that Brady went from 27 to 37 without winning his fourth Super Bowl. He won his third to 27, fourth at 37. So if that was going to happen, hypothetically, I don't think it would, considering just the general tenor of their dominance to this point. Who is the person... Or who are the people that are going to fill in that gap? Well, <laughs> obviously, I'm going to say Lamar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I I don't... It's not for the reason you think, though. I just think that the two guys that can realistically do it are Lamar and uh, Joe Burrow right now. And it's more so that I think that Joe Burrow's record against him is a fluke. I don't think that he's going to continue to beat Mahomes. And I think that he... Might get to the playoffs 
uh, when he's nice and healthy and whatever, but I don't think that he's going to beat him again. But Burrowhead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That game happened, and he lost. Like, the last game the two played, he lost. He he feels like the karmic balance to their dominance because I think that a lot of people... I think Joe Burrow has a high approval rating. I don't think that he has a lot of enemies in the league. He's generally well-received, especially after... Well, one, his just breakout at LSU and how amazing that team was and everything since then with Chase and Jefferson being amazing. And don't forget about Terrace Marshall. Uh, I didn't forget about Terrence Marshall. I'll never forget about Terrence Marshall. I liked him. I still think he's good. But he's carried that through his entire career where I think Mahomes had that until... I think he still has that to a degree. It's not going to be like Brady, and we said this earlier this week, it's not going to be like Brady unless he, too, has a scandal uh, to the level of Spygate or Deflategate. And I just, I don't see that happening. I mean, it, it's a freak occurrence for that kind of thing to happen because Brady's the only person that we associate those things with on the field-wise, whereas anything bad that we associate with other quarterbacks, shout out Roethlisberger or for things they do off the field, it's... It's going to require something like that because he seems even bulletproof to like his brother and his father getting a DUI the day of the Super or like the day before the Super Bowl. So he seems kind of immutable in that respect, but I think Burrow is is the person that we would all we being the the broader football watching public expect to clash with him the most even if Allen is better than I guess I've never actually asked you, do you think Allen is better than Lamar? Uh, I think it's really close. Uh, at this, it, of course, it's fine margins point, between everyone except Mahomes. At this point in both their careers, I just like it, it could go either way between those two for. It's just a matter of taste. Yeah. I mean, I just think that it's really hard to compare them. I mean, mm-hmm. Josh Allen is just a little bit more turnover prone. And that's his drawback. And I I just think he's more of a proficient passer than Lamar is. And he has a higher ceiling in terms of making plays. He might have he, he probably has more of a clutch factor, but it's like kinda like the take the take uh, I don't know, take back, take away from him is that he has that turnover problem. So he has a higher variance play style where I think this also comes down to just the way his team is built. And I, I think last year you could argue it was just his best season in the league. Even against the Chiefs, he put I I think Lamar has more sorry, has more of the onus on him for his playoff failures than Allen, because even that Chiefs game, like Gabe Davis, or he and Gabe Davis line up, or he doesn't get hit by Chris Jones on that play. Uh and then the Stefan Diggs 50 yard bomb. I still think the sample size is a little bit too low. I mean, he did win a very important game against the Texans, which people are taking away from him, and then lost. It's to a the, rookie. It's a rookie QB and a to team the that's Super Bowl favorites. A lot of, or I mean, the Super Bowl winning Chiefs. So I mean, like, I don't know. No, I actually, I hundred percent am on your side with that because I know that that's going to be the narrative with him until he wins a Super Bowl, and I don't agree with it. Uh, I think that he's amazing and has had 
good playoff games in the games that he's won. Just until he wins a Super Bowl, it's going to be first until next year. It's going to be he has as many playoff wins as MVPs. And then from there on, it's going to say they're going to cite Mahomes rings or Allen's playoff stats versus his. Or I'm not even Burrow. I'm not saying Mahomes isn't better. I know you're I not. We're talking about that. him versus Allen and Burrow and like Herbert's in there too, but it's the Chargers, so it's a wait and see. Yeah. I'm just you're you're gonna have a hard time finding a way for me to say that Joe Burrow is better than, than Lamar. It's just it's probably not gonna happen. I think two years ago more people than not might have thought that. Yeah, yeah. But I think that there's just uh absolute avalanche of excuses coming forth after this season and they are not being levied for Lamar and that's unfair so I want to try and point that and I agree with you it's yeah no it's man it's like Lamar's team didn't do nearly as well without him when he got injured but you see Joe Burrow's squad still pushing through and damn near making the playoffs after this and it's like they don't want to use the same excuses they were absolutely up our ass last year when lamar got hurt it's like oh oh excuses excuses but you know now they have the same thing and it kind of sucks it really sucks to see joe burrow go down i mean like you never want to see an injury but especially kind of karma (laughs) for their fan base not for joe burrow but for their fan base he's paying for the sins of his fans yeah, no, no, no. I'm. I don't like <laughs> to see him get injured, but to see for them to see him get injured, I only, you know what I mean. I feel like that would be more appropriate for Buffalo fans rather than Bengals fans. Yeah, but because we Josh for, Allen, dude, never you gets forget hurt. how you're in the same. The Ravens are in the same division as them. You forget how just deplorably bad the Bengals have been forever before Burrow and like one Andy Dalton yeah. season. I mean, if you heard their fan base, you would think that they forgot i mean man i just haven't forgotten about uh was it taj i forget his last name but <laughs> taj oh three top of the draft they missed on a quarterback point being i think that that is the that is the right way to look at it because i would also put Allen and lamar up there and then burrow and herbert slightly behind as far as his challengers but for mahomes himself where does he rank Amongst like Ooh, all ascending time? athletes, all time. because I, I think a lot of people's pushback against the Brady stuff, which we are not going to spend significant time on here because it's not the off season and we have have to fill a random Thursday in in June somewhere. Uh, I think that people would just want to extrapolate out his career and say it's like oh he's already the best. No, but. Okay. We yeah, have no, we have I to op- wanna... we have to operate under assumptions that he's not going to have something cataclysmic or fall off in a significant way. Because I mean, I don't know. Go back to 1986, and Len Bias is supposed to be the guy that's going to challenge Jordan for the rest of the 80s and 90s, and then he dies after draft night. Like we can't. Or um, what is it? Or like to to bring it to a Chicago thing. Derrick Rose destroying his leg. Not long after winning an MVP. Man, that was sad for even me, somebody who doesn't watch basketball, because I know that's what perspective I I assume when you're on the show talking yeah. about basketball. 
I love Derrick Rose, and he was a huge figure being somebody from the Chicagoland area mm-hmm. my whole life. I got to see him play when he was in his prime, even in person, and to see him get hurt like that was absolutely crushing, man. I, I don't know what else to say. I, I feel like I just sound corny saying it. No, but. you're right. and But that's my point, that that's the level of almost tragedy that it would require for Mahomes not to at least be on the level. Yeah, but not to spoil that that segment, assuming that whenever we do talk about it, it's me on the show and not Raven. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's the greatest of all time yet. That's, that's just all I'm going to say about it. Look, I, I'm just willing to say he's the best quarterback I've ever seen and that we're only arguing about accolades. And that's fine. But what we can look at it through the lens of is extrapolating out, like I said, and comparing it to the first segment of his career. Because one of the things that people say about Brady, which is accurate, is that you can split up his career at minimum in half, but so in a lot of ways in thirds and each version of him would be a hall of famer that's yeah no if Mahomes retired tomorrow he's a hall of famer yeah he is a hall of famer don't get me wrong and I think that he's definitely top three players of all time already but Tom Brady is what he's chasing and I don't think people are understanding what he's done because you really could split his career up into like thirds and they're all hall of fame like i just had to say it twice because you already said it Mm -hmm. just to have it process in my mind how crazy that is it's like my entire life as a human being he won his first super bowl the year i was born i believe like you and both of us 2001 no uh I 2000, think the 2001. Won. So in the so 02, 01-02 season, right? Yeah. So pretty much right when I was born, he won his first Super Bowl. Yeah. So my entire life, he's been this villain, this this guy running the dynasty of football that everybody hates. My entire life, I grew up like disliking him just because of the sheer fact that well, he it's was when we good started, and almost unbeatable. It's an interesting perspective too, because I think. I mean, people who have been alive longer and watching football longer have more of the full picture of it and remember it in the moment where he takes over for Bledsoe, who was supposed to be the Patriots guy, and he was viewed favorably and as this amazing story until they won too much and he started dating supermodels and then they started cheating. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that's a good reason to not like him, I guess. <laughs> Like we said, Mons hasn't gotten there yet, at least. So the the comp that is, I mean, Brady is an apt comp, but people also, like we just mentioned, forget how goddamn long Tom Brady played, and how, like, almost how big of a stretch he went without actually winning the big game to the point that people questioned him and Belichick and whether, like, when Brady was. Grant, again, he played till he was 45. When he was 37, 36, they were like, does he have it anymore? And that was the thing every single year. And then the Patriots would start 0-3, and they would finish 12-4, and or they'd be 0-2, and then 13-3, and and everyone would be like, okay, they're fine. And then they would either lose to the Giants or, like, get close. So I think he, is, that- he is on such a similar point that I think we're all just waiting to see 
frankly, what the next two or three years hold, because if he wins another, then he's ahead of Brady in pace. Mm. And that's what's interesting about it. Other guy that I want to talk about just in terms of like incredulity, that's not a word, but with how incredulous we are at his start is a guy like Shohei Otani, who I know that you aren't going to be able to speak to as much, but in terms of just guys doing things at a rate and in a way we haven't seen before, I think we talk about Mahomes in a lot of the same way as Otani or Tiger Woods, who destroyed golf for a decade, or Wayne Gretzky winning eight MVPs in a row. Like, he is not necessarily that, but I think we are the reason that we want to talk about it so much is that he has a chance because he's hypothetically just now in his prime, hitting his stride and winning Super Bowl with Chiefs teams that, granted, he has one of the best defensive coordinators that maybe we've ever seen and one of the most perfect pairings of an offensive mind with Reed. And that's all great. But if we get to a point where it's like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is the first player ever to win four straight Super Bowls, then we're going to talk about him like those guys. And we're going to talk about him like he won an MVP and almost a Cy Young and how he broke every scoring and assist record or shot 150 under par. Well, I don't even think it's it's an if anymore. He just went back to back with Super Bowls, which... After trading Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean, he is crazy. And I think that people are... are throwing around the word if a little bit too much I think we are considering the fact that he is that like he is like the tie like modern day Tiger Woods or whatever you Wayne Gretzky of football right now I think that the reason that if is the only necessary qualifier there is because it feels like we're on the brink of a stretch not to the level of Russell in the 60s with the Celtics, but like I, in a lot of ways, the chiefs dominance feels scarier because Mahomes plays in a more like, I don't know, eye catching way than Brady ever did. And so it was always just like, Oh, Brady's got that it factor and the clutch gene at the end of games and is able to, to thread it out and win on field goals against the Panthers. Whereas the chiefs are down 10 at half. And we're like, He's still going to win, right? And everyone checks the lines just to see what the live odds are for the Chiefs because if you if the Chiefs are ever down at half, if the Chiefs are ever not favored in a playoff game, it feels like free money. And that just speaks to everything that we're talking about. Okay, football is in the rear view. We're about to get to everything else, All-Star Weekend, all that, and baseball's coming too and so on and so forth. So I, we will come back to the draft plenty as I enjoy the scouting aspects of it and the NFL, NBA, every sport now is a 24-hour, 365 calendar. The draft clock technically starts now. Everything else is over. Teams have nothing else to focus on. So, Brendan, who's going to go number one? In the who's NFL gonna, Who's draft? going to draft number one? Ooh. Well, I mean, Caleb Williams is going to go number one, but... I don't think that it's going to be the Bears. I kind of don't think so either. I, mm. I'm i kind of like, okay, I think that they're going to keep it, ultimately. I don't, I don't think that's what's going to happen, but the more I think about it, 
the more I kind of want them to go down to two. Because I think it satisfies both hopeful paths that people are arguing about when it comes to fields specifically, that they want to gather assets to continue to build the rest of the roster while also getting a quarterback in there. And there are there are guys, there are people in the league that like Drake May as much as Williams. There's also people that put Jane Daniels above Drake May, Caleb Williams under both of them, or just like personality concerns, whatever. That's a whole separate thing that I could spend 20 minutes on. But I've kind of started sneaking towards the idea that I might just want Drake May more. And if like all the cowherd bullshit about him not wanting to play for the Bears is in any semblance true. Okay, look, it's a loser franchise. I'm actually not going to blame him that much for it. But if there's any whiff of the truth of that, of you having an Eli Manning, Philip Rivers thing, I'm okay getting out in front of it. Because I have heard nothing of Drake May or Jane Daniels expressing such a desire. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny that you say that the ideal thing would be for them to trade down to two, because I was just going to say that I, if I had to make a like bold, well, I not not bold, but just like cement. You know what I'm saying? Just like stake your claim. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna have to say Commanders are gonna be the team. Okay. For what's his face <laughs> for Caleb Williams? Whoever that guy is. Yeah, whatever his name is. But he, I don't know. I I think that they're a team super in need of a new identity i mean they just got a new gm a new name and everything and well since they did that obviously it's been a year but they clearly had no identity last year and sam howell did not cement himself as the starter <laughs> as we all hoped i hope i think I he's was, gonna I be rooting for him. i think that we talk a lot about i don't know why it's one of those weird storylines that seems to come up a lot who the next Fitzpatrick or Josh McCown is. I think it's Sam Howell. Ooh, that I, would be fire. I think I it's Sam Howell being able to come in and throw the most passing attempts in the league despite getting benched in two games. Yeah, I think he could bounce around, but I don't know. I kind of like him. I, I really like him, but I don't know if he's going to start anywhere else. Like if you He's look at the, or Minshew, yeah. If you look at the pool of like teams, I, I just don't see him being one of the starters. I see... Like the lower end is is like Justin Fields, you know, and I think that Fields is definitely better than Sam Howell. I'd hope so for the Steelers' sake. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's another another topic. Will we have a full off season to get? Yeah, for another that. day. Yeah, uh, we're gonna be right back in a moment. Jump into basketball. Coming back, I wanted to jump around a few of the games that happened this week, just leading up to the break. And now that we are post-trade deadline, these become all the more interesting. And then get into a larger discussion about who the second best team in the East is. Because I think that is almost, that is the most interesting storyline out there. Where I was going to say it's almost as, as interesting as the West, but the West is just its own undefinable morass of teams that I don't even think if they know they're good or not. So first, on Monday... I only wanted to point this out because of how it ended, and I was glad I was watching it live. Knicks Rockets. 
The the NBA has not seen a successful protest of a game since the 0708 season. And why that is relevant is because last play of the game, clock winding down, 103-103, Aaron Holiday throws up like a football pass towards the rim as Jalen Brunson is closing out on him. Granted, this is from like 32 feet away. And they call a foul on it. They grant Holiday the free throws. The Knicks lose the game. It seems like it's the first time since then that we're going to see an actual successful protest, which is what the Knicks filed. Funny thing about that, fun piece of of history that I, I was able to revisit is that it was because in a game, oh God, I don't have it pulled up, so forgive me if I get the team wrong. In a game the Heat played against insert opponent here, Shaq, who was still on the team at the time, fouled out, left the game. It was understood that he was not able to play anymore. They thought it was his sixth foul. It ended up actually being his fifth. So when the Heat protested the result of the game and won, the next time those two played, they started at the 52-second mark and replayed the rest of the game. But what was funny about that is because it happened after the trade deadline, Shaq had gotten traded to the Suns. So... They replayed a game that was protested on the grounds that Shaq got fouled out too soon, and then Shaq wasn't even on the team anymore. So that is mostly to highlight the silliness of protests and to remind people of what that actually means. And I don't... Brendan, do you know if it's the same thing in football? Because I know pe- the Saints fans pounded the table after the... Uh, was it the Nickel Roby Coleman pass interference that wasn't called? Mm, yeah, the NOLA no-call. Yeah. Oh, jeez. They come up with a name for everything. Uh, would that have been the same thing? It was a playoff game, so that's different, obviously. But well, what I are the NFL rules on that? Uh, like, in the sense, like, can they overturn it? Like, go back on a call or something? Yeah, because I read a bunch of stuff at the time, and the the underlining point of it all was, like, get bent, New Orleans. But... Yeah, that's what happened in the NFL, and that's that's really all I could speak on. But yeah, the, you can't overturn a call. You could like, I think, it, it, provide reparations, maybe <laughs> like money wise. I think fire that's the it. referee. Just be like, all right, like they'll sometimes come out with apologies. Be like, yeah, that was bad. I mean, call. that's what that's what the last two minute report is in the league, and it wasn't. It didn't even require that. Immediately after the game, the referee said, "Yep, shouldn't have called that." And this is literally after a call that cost the Knicks the game. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, it's really all you could do. And it's it's just humans running it. And now that that I don't comes wanna... out of my mouth, it's like the new argument is that robot referees should be implemented. <laughs> baseball, well, baseball is about to start. We're going to have that conversation at some point. Uh, Bogdanovich looks so, so happy to not be a piston. Flying for rebounds. Like, clearly active offense and defense. It just warms the heart. He's not shooting well since joining the Knicks, but that's, I think that's going to flip considering he's 40% on the year, and that's not changing anytime soon. Amon Thompson, not Asar, who has gotten justifiably a lot more acclaim so far this season, despite being on a much worse team. He's doing stuff. Uh, six steals in that game. Late in the fourth, like, a, tr- a double-double and a half. He had eight. 13 and four, both he and his brother kind of exemplify an interesting character slash uh, player archetype in the NBA where it's just these little, 
little guys, uh, guards, guard-sized players, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, the Bruce Brown mold who are able to rebound like crazy purely because of their athleticism. And as transition defense continues to be more emphasized in favor of offensive rebounding, these guys are just so damn athletic that they're able to get in there and in a lot of lineups play power forward purely based off their athleticism, which is an amazing change in basketball in general. But after starting really, really rough and his minutes being severely diminished over the last 10 to 15, not only is he like really filling out the box score, he's actually getting minutes. And for a guy like Udoka, I think that speaks to whether or not he trusts him. And just his ability to do all of that, and although he turns it over more than I would like, show up a clear passing acumen, he is creeping closer and closer to Jalen Green for me in terms of guys that I would want to see develop further on that roster. Regardless, Knicks are going to win that grievance. Fun game. Uh, Knicks come into the deadline as one of those teams to watch for second East, which we will get to. Uh I don't know why I even bothered to take notes on Wizard Mavericks, but I was just watching it. Uh, Maxi Kleber back. Daniel Gafford looks like a perfect fit on that team and saves Lively from having to be the only big guy in that rotation. If you're for the Wizards, I have nothing to say for you, but Kuzma still looks quick and invested at this point in the season. They have him under contract. Maybe they just want to trade him in the offseason. I don't know. The Mavericks were a team rumored to try and get him. Please, for the love of God, save Denny Avdia for, what was it, 43-10-6 earlier this season, or not this season, earlier this week. He is a guy that, if you are a contender in the offseason and trying to make a high-level, like, third or fourth starter acquisition, please take it upon yourself. I'm looking at you, teams like the Pelicans, teams like, I don't know, even the Thunder or the Bucks or the Clippers, Please save Denny Optia. He will take you from good to great, and I am not kidding. The Mavs having effective size makes a difference. Luka and Kyrie are great and continue to be an overwhelming offensive positive when they're on the court together. But having a big man like Gafford performing the way that he does as a physical rebounder and like step up in the paint and then be able to shuffle back quickly enough to make a difference on the back end of these cuts and things that Lively, for as good as he is, just struggles to read as a person younger than me. Having a guy like that makes them more passable on defense, and given how strong he, Lively, and even Kleber coming back and looking good, in totality, they've added a dimension to their offense and defense by adding role players and that's really all you can ask in terms of those marginal acquisitions at the deadline grant williams um best of luck in charlotte but i think that they feel better not having to not feeling obligated to give him minutes anymore last game on monday timberwolves clippers understated thing that i didn't mention on tuesday because obviously we were talking about the super bowl i think i heard yeah in every basketball game that I was watching this week where upside of league pass if you're watching games on there and you see the things between timeouts or when it's supposed to be uh like a tv timeout I, I think I've heard more usher this week than I have in the past five years combined so credit to the guy did you like the halftime show Brendan 
No. Why? <laughs> I, I don't hate like Usher. I don't like sweaty men. Why? Uh, I just I don't know. I was like just chilling out. I didn't really do anything for the Super Bowl. I just was doing laundry and so I just saw Usher come on, start performing songs, and then like two minutes in, I was like, okay, I'm tuning out. I can't. I just can't do it. It was pretty good. <laughs> okay. I guess I'm just a hater. Then. And sexually charged. <laughs> My bad. At the end of the first half, I only wanted to point this out because it literally made my jaw drop. Harden jumps a passing lane. This is a tight game at this point. Hits Westbrook on the break, who gets stuck under the rim because he... I mean, somewhat of a discredit to Harden there because the pass might have been a little later than necessary consider how fast Westbrook moves. But Harden then relocated for a catch-and-shoot buzzer-beating three to end the half. And I only point that out because I think it underscores what each of these stars has been willing to do in the presence of each other. All of Kawhi's, Paul George's, Harden's, and I mean, however you want to consider Westbrook, their usage rates have gone down after Harden joined the team. They have made concessions to play with each other, and Harden, although I'm not saying that he's doing this every possession, running around screens like he's J.J. Redick, He has shown a willingness to not only be that offensive facilitator, but work within, I don't like just saying work within a scheme, but operating as a co-star rather than the focal point, which is, I mean, Embiid was the star in Philadelphia, but Harden was the point guard. I mean, KD and Kyrie in Brooklyn, the, what, seven games they played together, and then in the playoff games he played with KD, Still, he did not operate like the way he is playing now. And as we will get to in looking through what we consider to be the actual 25 best players this season, Harden has gone from a guy that I completely discounted when he joined the Clippers, and that has since, I'm wrong. They're awesome. If they stay healthy, I think they're going to win the West. Truly. He has shown a capability to play in a way that I thought he left back in Oklahoma City. Not to the same degree. He is not a six-man, and he is not going to become a, a catch-and-suit sniper. I just think that he now knows what is necessary to win in a way I don't know that he's ever demonstrated. Which I think, okay, I take that back. It discredits how effective those Rockets teams were when he was the main star, but he now knows how to play in the presence of other stars. The Clips looked better after losing this game against the Timberwolves, they looked better taking advantage of a Warriors defensive collapse late in their Wednesday night game against them. But I still think they have a significant potential weakness against dominant big men. It's most glaring weakness in a time where the three best players in the league are all big men. In two games against Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis, Jokic averaged 27, 15 and a half rebounds, and nine and a half against them. Embiid averaged 42.5, 8-3. Giannis averaged 44.5, 13.5-4. Zubats particularly fills a valuable role, and he has a mind meld with Harden at this point in a really impressive way in the pick and roll that opens everything else up and contributes to what we're talking about, Harden understanding this team. 
they still had that as a significant defensive weakness, even against the Timberwolves. I mean, Cat's having arguably the best season of his career, and Gobier has been revitalized. Nas Reed is still out here hitting Euro steps and shooting 41% from three. I think that if the Timberwolves and Clippers were in a series, I would pick the Wolves for this exact reason. And I because I think that this game exposed what I think is their only Achilles heel. They have wing defenders in Ant and McDaniels and Kyle Anderson down the line who can match up against Kawhi and Paul George and James Harden, as well as anyone can match up against guys who are that good. And then down low, they're going to beat the shit out of you with their size and Gobert's ability to not really have to worry about either of those guys offensively. Kawhi has been one of the best five players in the league this year. Since the new year, he has averaged almost 24, six and a half and four. And then he's shooting 53, 49.9% and 91. He's almost 50, 50, 90 for almost two months now, which is just incredible. doesn't cover it. Arden has fit more seamlessly than I ever could have assumed. George is still in his athletic prime, even if he has been prone to streakiness within games. I just want to continue watching the rest of this year and see if they learn how to better combat those big men because I think that's their only weakness and the only thing stopping them from winning the West. Finally, Wednesday, he's Sixers. Small things, Buddy is averaging over 20 points per game since joining them. Apparently, Mo Bamba is on... I forgot Mo Bamba was on the Sixers. It just made me happy to see him. I kind of like Ricky Council, who is playing more in the absence of, of... Embiid, undrafted free agent guard, good touch. But I wanted to focus more on the Heat. Jovich put up 24 against the Bucks the other night. P- looks comfortable in this game too. At one point, leading a couple breaks. I know he's tall, white, and European, so we want to compare him to Jokic, but he does look like a comfortable passer as well. Has a good-looking shot and knows how to relocate on threes. Hakez just always seems to be sitting in soft spots of the defense in the dunker spot. And, I mean, just, like, if you're doing work while watching basketball, which I feel like that's a lot of people's experience with watching sports. I think that's part of what makes the NFL so popular. People can set aside a Sunday do it. But if you're into baseball, you're into basketball, you're into hockey, there are going to be games during the year where you're on your laptop writing or doing whatever work that you might be doing in your respective career, you're going to look up and one of the five times that you clue in in a quarter, it's going to be Jaime Hawkes cutting behind a sleeping big man for a reverse layup. And it just feels like half of his points. He continues to be amazing. Uh, Also, I mean, a credit to this too, he has travels... He has traveled the most pure distance of any player in the league this year. Another reflection of just how well he fits into that heat. I don't even know that I would call it the heat slash bolster system. It's just understanding soft spots and always being focused on exploiting them. Even if they're not the strongest shooting team or the strongest finishing team, they're always hunting for weak spots. 
back to the Sixers. Uh, Cameron Payne can't run a pick and roll to save his life. Maxi has, it's just something I was noticing during this game specifically. He still has some weird, like, Harden in Philly moments where it's the three dribbles between your legs, step back that front rims that drags down his efficiency at times. He's still a very deserving all-star. I think up until Embiid left, I would have been okay with Maxi even starting the game. But he still has some of that fat in his game that makes it, it... It's why he can't carry the Sixers in Embiid's absence. Because he needs Embiid to work off of and with so that he doesn't fall into hero ball habits that a guy like Harden can get away with just because he has mastered them, whereas Maxi is in his early 20s and has not hit his second contract yet. Wrap it all up. We talked about all of them except one. I think that there are four main candidates for the second spot in the East because I think unequivocally we know that it's Boston. Boston has a 9.6 net rating, which is the same difference between second and ninth is what they are to the Sixers, Sixer, or the, the Thunder, rather. The Thunder are plus 6.6 themselves. They're top three in offense and defensive rating. The only other team top five in both is the Thunder. And they can... There's no... I think the only off night that I can think of for the Celtics this season where I'm like, I was in any way worried after was them getting destroyed by the Bucks. But I think the Bucks just have this weird tendency of finding one night in a two-week span where Giannis and Dame look both unstoppable and then they just win by 30 against anyone. Not sustainable in a playoff run. I wasn't even concerned about that. Point. Celtics are the best team in the East. Who's right after them? I think the four candidates that we can actually reasonably put against them are the Cavaliers, the Sixers, the Heat, and the Knicks. Bogey hasn't shot well since joining the Knicks. I'm into his additive effect. I think the roster has only gotten better in the last two months, and it seems that Ananobi completely unlocked them, even though he himself is out right now. While I like them, I think that, not to give Becky Hammond too much credit, I think that Brunson by himself, as dominant as he is, it gives more of the the Celtics with Isaiah Thomas type run, where it's a great story, they're going to have a great record, and they have great ancillary pieces, but Randall's going to be banged up and is still Julius Randall in the playoffs. And then I, no one is going to consider Ochi Ananomi or uh, Bojan Bogdanovic a third star on that team. They are a great story, and I think that if all of them are healthy, and most, most importantly, if Randall plays reasonably well, we could see them as an Eastern Conference Finals opponent to the Celtics. I just think the Celtics are way too perfectly designed with how dominant uh, Tatum and Brown and Porzingis have been for it to be in any way a fair matchup. The Sixers have 115.3 offensive rating without Embiid this year which is tied for 18th in the league with the Lakers and just a bit above the Nets. Their 120.9 defensive rating, 120.9 points allowed per 100 possessions, without him, is the worst in the league, just a tick under the Hornets. They are toast. No matter how much spacing Heald adds to a team with a hobbled Embiid, 
even if Maxi continues to improve drastically throughout the last 30-so games of the season. Even if this break gives them a chance to reset and just hit the ground running and be a fully functioning team once Joel comes back. I think in order to win the East this year, they needed this dominant over a point per minute Joel. And now that he's going to be coming off of another knee injury, no matter how, I, I think he is a tough SOB and deserves credit for powering through what he did this season and what ended up getting him hurt. To go back, I, I do take a little bit of, of blame for, for criticizing him ducking Jokic, but I also want to posit that his injury was not necessarily overuse. He got body slammed by, not purposefully, but coming flew into his leg. Like, I it it sucks, but this is just a byproduct of how Embiid's entire career has gone to this point. You always have to expect this wear and tear to catch up to him at some point, and it's just always ha- will he make it to the playoffs? And save for the year where Kawhi hit that shot over them to get to the finals. He has not been. And this year is going to be no different. And you needed 100% of Joel Embiid to beat the Celtics. Or, frankly, even the Cavs. For the Cavs, they just won an ugly game against the Bulls. Garland is the main piece coming back from injury after getting his face broken. No offense, Evan Mobley. And is shooting under 30% from three since coming back on January 31st. But they've won eight of the nine games since he's come back. And I think, and I mean, we'll we'll jump back to the Heat for a second here. I think they're the only team with a puncher's chance to, A, sneak up on the Celtics for the number one seed. But because of Mitchell's experience particularly, I think that they're the only team with a chance to beat them in a playoff series if everyone's healthy. They're five and a half games behind them with 29 remaining. It's a little unlikely, but they are there and they have not slowed down at all with Garland and Mobley coming back, something that we were worried about. Even Mobley playing like he has. Over the last over the same stretch, he's 15-9 and almost three, and then shooting 62% from the field, and then a very misleading 57% from three. He's eight of 14, but like, do you need him to take more than two a game? It would be great if he was able to expand that offensive role even further and play more than 26 minutes a game as the rest of the season unfolds. And if you have Mobley as an almost 20-point-per-game scorer alongside the dominance of Mitchell re-emerging Garland and then Jared Allen, who probably should have been an all-star this year, probably is, is strong, but point remains. They are the team that if Porzingis gets injured, which is always a concern, they are the team set to benefit the most, in my mind. The Heat have won six of their last eight. That said, their defensive rating is top 10, but their offense is in the 20s. Their net rating on the year is exactly zero. Jaime is my hero. Jovic looks more comfortable. Spolstra has them doing everything that being an opposing fan makes you frustrated, whether it's those backdoor cuts or them just perfectly executing curls. Duncan Robinson being in the right spot, trailing on threes. It annoys the shit out of you. 
I think sincerely, especially if Jimmy and Bam are healthy, Jimmy more so, that this is the best team that they've had since that first title run in the bubble. But I think the Cavs are the team to be outside of the Celtics. And with how nervous every game with Porzingis is, part of me is inclined to put my put my horse behind them only because I think of them as a better health bet. Okay, a couple stories before we jump over to the actual all-star teams, the all-star break, and what we think of the top 25 players so far this season. I wanted to touch on the Warriors as they've been, I think, the leading topic of conversation for the entire league over the past couple weeks, even going into the last month with Draymond obviously being the main reason for that. Credit to Kerr for resolving that situation, but it feels like we're back at an impasse where, I mean, Nurkic is egging them on in the media. That aside, we're at an impasse where an incident always feels imminent because that spice, that fire, that inherent temerity to Draymond Green that has made him the player that he is, warts and all, it feels like it's coming back, but you're all it's we're just always going to be nervous. And I'm not a Warriors fan, but watching those games anytime Draymond gets fouled, back downed, like talked shit to, you have it in the back of your mind. You have him headlocking Gobert and Nurkic getting the shit smacked out of him at the front of every decision that he makes. Since Draymond's return on the 15th, though, the Warriors are 8-5 and five with an almost 9 net rating. They're winning games by a lot and losing them by a little. They had a 5-point loss to the Clippers, another 7-point loss to the Clippers, a 1-point loss to the Lakers, a 1-point loss to the Kings, and then his first night back was a 9-point loss to Memphis. Since Draymond has come back, they are winning games by a ton and not have, have not lost a game by double digits in over a month. Kuminga has been amazing over the same stretch, 21-6-3, 57% from the field. Only 33 from deep, but like he's taking two a game. And I think that that is more of his game to this point anyway, but he's understanding that. The other night, I mean, we're just running down reasons why we still have faith in the Warriors despite the ongoing... <laughs> Disgruntlement is not the right word. The disarray that is their rotation, their roster, to that same effect, this week, Clay gets benched for Brandon Podzimski. Pods. It's a good move. Clay's rhetoric about his decline suggests an ability to cope with the decision, and he's a more valuable player to this point in the season, frankly. Pods' relatively neutral metrics as a rookie suggest improvement over the rest of the season even further. And if you dig into it more, he's a wild offensive plus in a way that Clay just isn't and holds his own on defense for a 20-year-old. He puts them in a better position to win, and Clay understanding that in the same way that like Westbrook understands who he is on the Clippers is going to make all the difference. And I think it's going to help him fill a role as a shooter rather than a third star, which... All of last year, certainly, but even some of this, it seems like he hadn't really come to terms with that. Draymond has revitalized them, and he has set them up to 
at least make the plan if he's healthy and stays in the rest of the year. But in the same way that the Jordan Poole punch completely ruined the vibes and the general tenor of last year, one more thing, and the Warriors are done both for off-the-court reasons of not having the emotional soul of their team, but on-the-court reasons because he has turned them back into a team that I think can win playoff series. Two more quick things. One, the Thunder's chances in their first year of their ascent. They are the most visually magnetic team amongst the ones that I watch regularly so far this season, whether it's just Shea's individual dominance. If you read uh, any of NBA.com's MVP ladders, Shea's up to two now. And I think that we could really see, especially with the, if the Thunder finished top in the West, I think we could... CSA Gilgis Alexander MVP, which if you're a Clippers fan and are reevaluating that Paul George trade, you have to just be punching the air every time you turn on the TV. They acquired Hayward, who hasn't played yet, and he doesn't solve their size issues, but is at least theoretically fine at everything and good at some, which is their strength. I know that it's somewhat myopic to say. The Thunder are just good at everything, this aside from being large. But what can all of their starters do? Pass, dribble, and shoot. For the most part, giddy aside. Shea continues to score over 30 points, and despite not being a three-point shooter, leads the league in drives, and is like the slipperiest guard that we've seen since... It's not the raw athleticism of Rose Westbrook, um, even like, I don't know. I, I like comparing him to Luka because they're, both their stop and start athleticism is incredibly impressive if they're not the most explosive athletes, where Luka is more physically imposing and just understands every inch. Shea understands angles and... I'm going to bring it back to football to keep Brendan from falling asleep too. In the same way that like a running back or a quarterback like Lamar understands how to not get hit in a way that's going to ruin his career. Understanding angles on drives is the same thing. Whereas one guy beats someone to the edge of the line of scrimmage, Shea will just get one extra foot pass so that he can spin back and then just has an open layup as you fly past. He's amazing. That's what sets Lamar Jackson aside from dudes like Justin Fields. Is because That is the difference between them and why I get so intensely frustrated by the comparison. It's why, you know, he could prolong his career and keep doing this. It's like Lamar has put so much effort and thought into his game in terms of, like, how to not get injured. It's just kind of something that you have to do depending on what position or what role you, you take in an offense or in a team. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know, as a quarterback who runs a lot, it could be uh, parallel to, uh, you know, any given position in basketball. But, you know, Lamar kind of has more of an obligation to keep himself healthy like that. Can you think of Lamar Jackson getting blown up on a play? No, it's in, it's pretty much impossible the way that he plays. Exactly. In the same sense... I like try to think of Shea getting blocked from behind or just getting chased down. It just doesn't happen. Jalen Williams, I think that if he just had more 
he is the new, if you put him on his own team, what would it look like? Because I think he could be like 27, 6, and 6. He's extremely efficient and then can guard up just because of being built like a brick shit house. Pass, dribble, shoot, defend. Lou Dort, never going to be a, a, a great finisher or mid-range shooter, but he has worked a lot on his shot from deep in a way that you actually have to respect. And again, can pass, dribble, shoot, and play some of the best perimeter guard defense that you're going to find. And against guys like, I don't know, against like, Wimby's his own thing, but tall players that abuse lesser defensive centers or power forwards, guys that want to get into the paint and back you down. I think guys like Dort, I think guys like Drew Holiday, guys, even when it's like Ananobi going up against guys like Embiid who are 7-1, they just get into their ass, pause, and uh, like work against their center of gravity in a way that a tall player would just get knocked off balance and pushed backwards. Giddy, I, I think he could shoot 60% from three and people would still back off of him like he was Thabo Cephalosha but, or um, Andre Robertson. But again, pass, dribble, can't shoot, but defend. And then Chet is his own wonderkin who has way too good a ball handling for a center. And if Wembenyama didn't... I saw someone say that it really sucks for Chet that he has to compete in a Rookie of the Year race against a demigod rather than just kicking the shit out of Paolo last year. But again, it falls under the same umbrella. These guys can all do multiple of the same thing. There is both overlap, but also individual excellence on the parts of Shea and J-Dub. Would, would adding Gafford have been perfect to shore up their lack of size? Because it feels like on some nights Chet is the only guy taller than like 6'4", and the other Jalen Williams is not a good enough backup center. Yes, that would have been great. Or even like talking about the Mavericks more getting Cleaver, or I don't know, picking up and there's a hundred different backup centers, including Nick Richards, a guy who I was convinced was going to get moved. That would have been a final piece that they could have even gotten from Charlotte as well to make me feel more convicted about saying they're going to make the conference finals or even the finals. I just don't believe it. Because I think in the playoffs, that weakness is going to get abused. I think Chet is going to feel small. And I think either Jokic, the Clippers, even the Suns with Durant are going to just take advantage of mismatches. And Durant's not an, a physically imposing force. But when the only guy with the size to really guard up on him is going to be Chet, it might get ugly. Finally, I don't want to linger on this at all. But the Lakers continue to be in a malaise, and I don't know that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be the guy to save them. They're 30-26, and 26, but that's only good for the plan right now. They're, like, middling on offense and defense. They've had a tougher schedule. Look, I only bring them up because if Dinwiddie can be a good third guard and help even out that rotation, 
where Russell has been playing well, Reeves has rebounded from a bad start of the year. Look, maybe it makes a difference, but we talked about the Warriors and we talked about the Thunder. I feel more confident about the Warriors winning a playoff series than I do about the Lakers making the playoffs. We're going to come right back with our top 25 players so far this season compared to the all-star teams in just a moment. And we're back. Last but not least. With the all-star break, I wanted to take a look at an overview of the best players in the league according to my inexorably accurate analysis and how they compared to the all-star teams in each conference. So, for a recap... The All-Stars that are going to play this following weekend are going to be Giannis, LeBron, Luka, Embiid, Durant, Halliburton, Shea, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Jokic, Bam, Booker, Paolo, Steph, Scotty Barnes, Anthony Davis, Jalen Brown, Anthony Edwards, Jalen Brunson, Paul George, Tyrese Maxey, Carl Anthony Towns, Donovan Mitchell, and then Julius Randle was voted but Trey is replacing him. Deservedly. A, after running through these, and especially taking a look at who was left off, including in the East, anyone that says that we need to expand the All-Star rosters to like 13 or 14, I've also seen 15. Like, I don't know why you guys are so interested in seeing Alperin Shangoon and Mikael Bridges in the All-Star game, but calm down. Starting at the honorable mentions, a couple of guys that I did not put in, a few of which are all-stars uh, themselves. Jalen Brown, who, if I was going to do a 26 spot, he would be 26. Amazing winged defender, to the point that I think some people have looked to diminish Jalen Brown as a guy who sometimes feels like the fourth best player on the Celtics in a given night. He is still the most valuable player archetype in the league as a good shooting wing who can put the ball in the deck just in a straight line. Don't ask him to do a series of complex dribble moves. Tyrese Maxey, who, again, as we talked about earlier, still has his warts as a young player with just, like, if there was ever an embodiment of a glass cannon in basketball terms, it's Tyrese Maxey. Granted, I think he's a little bit of a better defender than that, but when you're shooting in the lower 40s field goal percentage and then your shot is good enough that I expect the three-point percentage to be even higher, there's some things that I think could be developed even more, and if they were, he would be closer to 10 than 25 on this list. Scotty Barnes and Paolo, two guys who are kind of in the same arc of their career. Scotty's actually obviously been in the league longer, but now, after a somewhat down second year in the league, has started to ascend into what we know as the best version of himself. Scotty is currently 28 and 6 with a block and a half freak, which is just wild as a wing. I I don't like how familiar he has become with watching Emmanuel quickly dribble the air out of the ball, but he still is a 
top 30, if not on this list, top 25 guy. And then Paolo, who the Magic have a special place in my heart. And I think that some of his, even his advanced stats and efficiency metrics don't actually underline how much of a role that he has to absorb because Bronze hasn't really taken much of a leap in the same way that Paolo has continued to grow into his role as the number one on this team as a good passer and many times a dominant rebounder, depending on the matchup. He's been great. Again, in a similar way to Maxi, I think that his areas of growth are obvious and that he will get there, just he isn't there. Although, I have zero issue with him being on the proper all-star team. Starting from 5 to 20, the ancillary stars, the secondary stars, and the primaries who do not have a good enough supporting uh, cast around them to be dominant outside of themselves, and then James Harden. 25, we have Laurie Markkinen, 24, Jamal Murray, 23, Trey Young, 22, James Harden, 21, Sabonis, 20, Fox. Markkinen, I debated putting even higher. He's another one of those guys that we were talking about, like on the Thunder, except that he's seven feet tall and does all of the same stuff that Chet does. If you're looking for an evolutionary version of Chet, I know it sucks that I feel like oftentimes we, despite belaboring the point about it, always fall into the white-on-white comparisons, but at least it's better than comparing Markinen, a European big man, to Dirk. I think that Chet's a more accurate comp, and I think that that's what Chet wants to grow into one day. Markinen's already ascended at that point, and he's awesome. Murray, Beck, best, uh, best number two pairing in the league. Not the best number two star. They are higher on this list. But as we've beaten into the ground and seen over the course of each of the years that he's been actually healthy, when Jokic has Murray, they are nigh unstoppable. Murray is the closer, while Jokic continues to dominate the box score every night. When we see 19... Five and four from Murray. We feel disappointed because watching him, he looks so much better than that, than those counting stats reflect. But as we know, he is a guy that always has that potential on a given night, but clears the space for others and his superstar teammate. Trey, I think he's going to get a haul in the offseason. And I'm actually glad that he made the all-star team because unlike years past, I feel like we've gotten to the point where we almost underrate Trey Young. He is still a bad defender, but again, like, at least isn't falling asleep on every back cut this year and is getting in people's grills. It's different. It's better. It's not amazing, but it makes him more playable. And then he's the same dominant offensive hub that he's always been. Harden, we talked about plenty. He deserves a lot of credit for being a guy that I would have been sick to my stomach to trade for it in the offseason, and now he's back to being one of the 20 to 25 most valuable players in the world. And then Sabonis and Fox right next to each other. Um, I think something that people are open about, but is also clear in, in this exercise too, that if you don't know who's actually better, you just put them right next to each other and let people debate it between themselves. 
Whether you think Fox or Sabonis is more integral to the Kings is entirely up to you. And for a team that's eighth in the West, I know that they might be spending too much time talking about how they got robbed from an all-star spot. One of them should have. Really, I I think it's I think pff, last year was probably the best of Fox's career, but you can make a strong argument for this. And this is the best season of Sabonis' career, who has been an all-star before. I am always in favor of rewarding good teams over bad ones, and Minnesota has the best record in the West, but Sabonis should have been in over Towns, and I think you could have made an argument for Fox over Booker because of this time missed, or Steph because I think he's just been individually amazing. Granted, if they had a few more wins, I think we would have gotten to that point, but here we are. 19, Paul George, 18, Bam Adebayo, 17, Damian Lillard, 16, Jimmy Beller, 15, Anthony Edwards. George, we also talked about today. It's been a weird thing to observe on certain nights where there was a night against like the Pelicans where I think he started 0 of 9 from the field. And there were those games sprinkled throughout this season so far in a way that makes me a little bit nervous for the playoffs, but not supporting a strong enough trend to actually talk about at length. It is the reason that I put him under someone like Bam, who despite not having the raw explosive scoring ability or just the overall stats, I think that he... I don't have any voting in any of this, but honestly, I would say Bam Adebayo should be Defensive Player of the Year to this point. I don't know who would be considered in the lead at this moment, maybe Gobert, but currently my vote would be on Adebayo, and that's why he still is justifies being a top 20 player, despite scratching 20 points a game seeming like a challenge. Dame's efficiency is down, otherwise he would be much closer to 10. He still has nights, it's just he's older and the off nights are more frequent. When it gets to the playoffs, I am curious to see if he drops any stinkers, and if there's enough of those in one series, is Damian Lillard the reason that his team loses a playoff series? Just something to watch. Butler, he's got to play more. He's still, like, again, has takeovers in a way that few other players do. Not that other players can't score to the same ability, pass or defend. It's just how overwhelming it feels when Jimmy Butler is hitting every single shot on you, and then also guarding up on your best player. Just need him to play more and maybe pretend to give a shit about the regular season. Ant's the next one, but I'll I'll go up to 10 just to, to show this morass that I struggled with. 15 Ant, 14 LeBron, 13 Donovan Mitchell, 12 Jalen Brunson, 11 Tyrese Halliburton, 10 KD. I would be comfortable putting those guys in any order. I think there's a health aspect to it and a value on defense where I think Halliburton and Brunson are the weaker defenders of the bunch, but they try, and so I'm not going to discount it too much, especially when their teams, in Halliburton's case, are so bad everywhere else that it makes him look even worse. And then for Brunson, he has the best defense in the league behind him, so it almost doesn't matter as long as he's somewhat positionally sound. LeBron still putting up, again, 21 years, and he's still able to put up numbers that, while probably not worthy of being the all-star captain, justify just 
his presence as one of the uh, the leading faces of the league still to this point. Not in the Kobe, we just want the second record for him way. He would have been on this team even if it was in a reserve role. Edwards is still probably my favorite player to watch. Him and Halliburton are neck and neck right now in terms of the the players that just make me happiest to have the gift of sight and be able to watch them play the sport. And then KD, who is still having... I, I think it gets undersold because he's missed enough seasons and is not quite as old as LeBron, but the fact that he's still holding up and able to do all of this when Booker's been absent, when their depth has been questionable to say the least, and even their like somewhat middling 33 and 22, I know that's not middling, but it feels like it, is on his aging back. And that's pretty incredible. Um, Mitchell and then Booker as well. I think again it's a matter of taste and we've had that Mitchell versus Booker debate before Mitchell has been so impressive in Garland and Mobley's recovery time and when they are out to bring them to the second position in the East and be their best player all season that if you are splitting hairs on whose team is better you might even be able to put Mitchell at the top of this and then Booker. He's the same guy. I think that we will think about him more when the playoffs come. And he just is able to absorb some of the role player minutes that we'd rather not talk about. Ninth, Anthony Davis. Eight, Steph Curry. Seven, Jason Tatum. AD has been better than LeBron this entire season and has been remarkably healthy for Anthony Davis. If there's another guy that you want to throw his hat into the ring for defensive player of the year, I mean, 80's up there just because of his individual impact. But, like, the Lakers are still only 14th defensively in terms of net rating. And then, like, their best lineups always figure, always feature AD as center. And I think that despite his inability to shoot a jumper anymore, he is still has the potential of dominance in every game that he plays. He just does not have the consistency of Steph or Tatum, who have been amazing even in the context of their previous amazing seasons. Steph's not 2016 Steph winning unanimous MVPs, but he's still making five threes a game, which is something that it... It's only Steph Curry things, and the fact that he can still do this at the same level, despite all the tumult around the Warriors, is all the more amazing. Still one of my favorite players to watch ever. Tatum, sometimes my least favorite player to watch with how clear of, an, of a physical specimen he is, just the number of dribbles to his left hand, step backs, or pull-ups in late games, where it feels like if he didn't do that and Jalen Brown had a better handle, the Celtics would be 55-0. and 0. While he's still prone to that, he has become, again, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league and one of the chief reasons outside of all the rest of the star power the Celtics have that they are, in many senses, the title favorite. Six, Luka, 
and then five Kawhi Leonard. This might switch by the end of the year only because I think the Mavericks are going to get a lot better as we go. But Luka is still having his brilliant individual offensive seasons. He is still the point guard for a team that has little creation outside of him. And frankly, they're going to rely on him more because the players they acquired at the deadline are not ones to set themselves up. Yet the record continues to improve, and Luka is able to mesh those guys in pretty seamlessly. Then I think he deserves more credit than Kawhi, who, as we discussed earlier, has been on an unbelievably efficient heater in his bag to playing the defense that he did almost in the San Antonio days. He is not quite the same athlete anymore, but positionally, you cannot argue that he is back to being the scariest wing defender alive. Four, SGA, three Giannis, two Embiid, one Jokic. SGA might mess around and win an MVP. We've already uh, given him the Lamar Jackson treatment. Giannis continues to play like a madman, and I like. I think he likes Doc Rivers, but the world will never know. Uh, shout out Gigi Jackson for thanking uh, Doc Rivers for the win last night. The Bucks are still prone to those. I don't know what's wrong with them. Trust me, it's not Giannis's fault. Embiid, I mean, I hope that he can play to 90% of the level that he was earlier this season when he comes back and they can make a playoff run with him. But look, it's just too much to expect. He has still been one of the two best players alive, no matter the way you slice it. And Jokic is one here, but like, it is one of the few times where in years past, up until this one really, I would have argued with you and always put Jokic first, even like sometimes putting Giannis ahead of Embiid. But with how, like even just look at their splits, with Embiid, they are one of the best offenses and defenses in the league. I mean, we talk about his over a point per minute deal, but his defense has also remained excellent and he is an intimidating force not to the level of a Wemby or even back to when he first started in the league where it was, I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was Hassan Whiteside who retired early this week. Rest well, big fella. Uh, he has always been this guy. It's just now that he's able to balance an even more overwhelming scoring load with that level of defense. that It just can't be understated. I think Jokic's individual offensive brilliance and then... I'm not going to talk about his quote-unquote underrated defense because I don't want to fall into that trope, but he continues to be not only healthy, which, again, you kind of have to hold against Embiid to a certain point. Not only has he been healthy, he continues to lead top, what is it now? Top 11. They're 11th in offense and defense in what has kind of been a down year compared to last year. Denver just, to me, feels like the Chiefs this year, where it's like, oh, it's a little bit of an off year, but when it comes down to the end of the day, Jokic is still the most like gravitationally overpowering offensive player that we've seen since. Pick a name out of the hat, honestly. And then he holds up enough that everything else around him is able to create 
a solid enough defense that I'm not willing to give Embiid the edge over him in that regard. So, looking at all of that, the only exceptions to what we have down here and the actual all-star team ends up being what? Uh, Paolo, Scotty, and Jalen Brown, which I don't think anyone is good, and Cat, who all good enough that if I put them in here, I don't think anyone would bat an eye, but like I, I would rather have a guy like Markkanen, one of the kings in there. Even, I, I know, that we, every year we talk about, it's like, oh, but Jamal is on All-Star. I get it from a counting spat, uh, stat perspective. I've never had a qualm with this year's All-Star team. I just like doing it, one, because lists are fun, and two, because it gives us a, a sense of the hierarchy and an idea where, where we actually want to place these players against each other versus what the All-Star team allows us to do. Okay, I think that is all we have to that respect and running down the rest of the pieces of news from this week. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to Steve McMichael and his family, the former Bears legend. Defensive tackle rushed to the ER with pneumonia this week. He just got elected to the Hall of Fame. Um, I wish him well because I'd like him to be able to see it, but love to Steve McMichael and, and everything that he is going through. Staying with the All-Star game for a second, uh, please stay off the internet for the Curry and Ionescu three-point competition because Twitter's already a hellhole of misogyny, but I think anyone with a conscience might throw up if, uh, regardless of who wins, just stay off. Pitchers and catchers are reporting, yay more baseball. Uh, Rob Manfred is stepping down in 2029. I don't feel like talking about 2029 stories, but I think we are going to take... Uh, some time looking at who I consider to be the worst commissioner in sports coming up here in a few weeks. And then Caitlin Clark breaking the the women's uh, career scoring record in college. Brendan, how much... So do you care about college basketball? Uh, I want to care about it. <laughs> I'm looking to because March Madness is crazy, so... Of course. Did you follow this story as it was happening? Uh, no, I did not. Okay, but you know who... You know the deal, though. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think me and Sos were just talking about it. My point being, amazing, and she, I, I know that we, I feel like no one is compared to more than than the Stephs or the, uh, the Mahomeses, where it's just like, oh, these guys are brilliant individually and have an eye-catching style of play. Hell, even Mahomes has compared himself to Curry. I feel like Clark has had that kind of effect in the same way that Steph had it at Davidson, if not coming into the league. But then he got back to it as an NBA player. I don't know. I think Clayton Clark is a superstar, and I think someone more informed on uh, the nuances of women's college basketball I would love to have a conversation with only because a lot of the time I feel more interested in watching it this year or following it than I have with the men's game just because I don't feel attached to any of the players outside of like Edie and that's only because uh, Purdue is the reason that I exist. But Brendan, 
Do you have anything else to add to this fine, fine day of podcasting? No, I do not. Uh, very sad that we're in the off season now. Officially, this is the first podcast I've been on where the NFL's in the off season. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to the draft free agency. That could be really fun. Honestly, I, I tend to underrate it a lot. I mean, we get into the season like, oh, finally football's back. But really, I do have a lot of fun doing like covering free agency and, and the draft. So I am actually really excited for that. I'm looking forward to it, too. With that said, thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to follow and listen to everything else on the Alethio Network. Appreciate y'all, and have a great weekend.